Okay, welcome, welcome. to the Anxious in Austin podcast. Um, I am Dr. Marianne Stout. And I'm Dr. Thomas Smithyman. We're here with the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin. Yeah, we both work here as um, anxiety specialists, psychologists. Yeah. yeah. Today we are talking about a fun topic that whether you have anxiety or not, you should be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. We're talking about shame. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this because this was, you know, uh, we're trying to figure out a new topic. You know, we're always each time trying to figure out what we talk about this week. Um, and I was pushing Marianne to, for her to come up with one. So I was excited because she picked this one. Well, Big shame. Yeah, this is what I'm interested in, and I feel like comes up all the time in our work mm-hmm. and you would express some interest in it too yeah I'm definitely interested in knowing more learning more so exploring it and it's a much more depth. broad thing than when we yeah. focus on specific disorders so mm-hmm. this kind of right like even if you don't have an anxiety disorder this is something you can relate to yeah so something that you and I both experience as well like it's you know universal I experience plenty of anxiety too well, so <laughs> that's, that's not a new experience this, for me I'm, I'm yeah. guessing you haven't experienced Postpartum OCD. That's I'm just gonna guess. That's, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, so yeah, what? Oh, I want to start with my research. Looking at uh, mm, okay, cool. The definition. Can, can I ask? The definition. What, uh, what shop? Sure. Yeah, start with definition. So what do I have here. Oh. This is, oh, this is from Brene Brown. She done, does a ton of research on shame. She's at the University of Houston. She defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of connection and belonging. Mm, that is interesting to hear that definition. Really? How come? Because it lines up uh, so much with my social anxiety, my social anxiety model like my, my my sort of personal model of like central components of what makes social anxiety well i was excited doing this research because i felt like this is such a joint your interest my interest like yeah, i was talking huh. about like being your authentic self is yeah. the way out of social anxiety mm-hmm. and so much of what i focus on is like values who you are what's important to you and mm-hmm. a lot of the research looked at those are two huge ways of counteracting shame or building like shame resiliency it's oh, like interesting. being your authentic self uh-huh. and really um, living according to like your values and what's important versus to you. Versus the perceived external yes, versus what you societal think values. Everybody else wants you to Can be. Can you read that definition one more time? Yeah. Uh, the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of connection and belonging. That is interesting. Okay, yeah, because my, with my model, I'm just trying to think this. Obviously, it's not the different pieces, but in my model, it is. You show your, you show your flaws because we all have them. I'm not sure if that definition is assuming we all, like we all have flaws, right? Mm-hmm. We need to show the flaws, and or we have a situation where we do, but yeah, that people will notice and and then they will think it's really bad and will be rejected and won't be able to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of saying that experience, I, the experience of I have flaws, flaws and they get seen and then they're disconnecting yeah and people reject me and I can't handle it it's kind of it's almost the same thing yeah yeah how interesting how interesting um then yeah just looking at some of like the different research mm-hmm. 
Uh, one was on like why we have shame. Oh, okay. Uh, seeing it as a motivation, right? Like that. To, to stay conforming to, to yeah, society. Reinforce norms, social norms yeah. uh, within the social organization and help social cohesion. Uh-huh. Um, what I was thinking about this as I was doing this research, so Brene Brown really talks about the difference between guilt and shame, and other researchers do too. Totally. That like guilt is just the behaviors, right? Like I feel badly that I did this thing. I did a bad thing. I did a bad thing. Yeah. Versus I am a bad person is shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it seems like when the researchers look at the mo- like how it's beneficial or it's motivating towards social cohesion, mm-hmm. that really guilt is the beneficial piece, right? Like, if I can say, yeah. I did this bad thing that made uh-huh. me different from society mm-hmm. versus I'm a, the, I'm a bad person is never going to lead to... Yeah, pro-social, right? Yeah. Right, yeah, I remember, like, so my master's project was... I was in... Um, like, it was on... It was in that area. It was, like, guilt and shame. It was, like, a oh, study yeah. of why guilt for bad behavior goes down as people get older so like they do worse things but they are less and less guilty about it so it's a lot of reading this area yeah <laughs> and it's because they had more like confidence in who they were or more um well my my research was that they get smarter and they can justify and excuse it internally to themselves better so they can negotiate their way out of feeling guilty for it yeah. But anyway, the, that that was just it was fascinating stuff. But I didn't want to go into psychiatric prisons and deal with yeah. <laughs> deal with uh, psychopaths. But I was reading like serial killer books and all this kind of stuff. Not my career direction at that yeah. time. Um, but yeah. The, sorry, what, you gonna say something? Well, uh, yeah. just that. So, a lot of the research on like what helps mm-hmm. is connection. Uh-huh. With, uh huh. you know, being more of your authentic self and having more. Mm-hmm connection and empathy um and i did my master's under my uh advisor was um kristen neff here at ut oh i didn't know that yes and she does all of her research on self-compassion which is basically having empathy for yourself yeah and so that's where when you talk about like what are some good tools to use Mm -hmm. when it comes to people experiencing shame mm-hmm. I always start going towards the identifying your values and working on self-compassion mm. like for those pieces that who I am I can have a better understanding of who I am and then like learn to give myself some empathy because uh yeah sorry I'm just excited about all these things three components yeah, 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 keep, of keep going the three yeah. components of self-compassion uh-huh. I'm like skipping ahead on things but our self-kindness versus self-judgment so increasing self-kindness yeah um, common humanity versus isolation. So recognizing that we are all suffering, like it is not so actually every, everyone experiences shame. Yes. So it's not the fact yeah. that this is an isolating thing. That mm-hmm. in fact this is some, one of the pieces that connects me to humanity is that we all struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last piece is mindfulness versus over-identification. So being able to detach yourself. Yeah, detach and <clears throat> excuse me, um, not get too engaged with specific thoughts. Okay. So. Those, you know, those pieces of working on increasing, you know, some of the tools that she has or exercises she has people do is treating, like, how would you treat a friend if they were in the same situation? Because it's so much easier for us to give empathy towards others. And Mm -hmm. so then can I, okay, if I was a friend and not myself in this situation, 
what would I want to say to myself? So kind of working on that empathy piece, but turning it inward. So that's interesting. Um, do, do you know Paul Gilbert? Yes, why does that sound so familiar? I mean, maybe I talked about it. He's one of my like favorite oh, researchers. Maybe it's you, yeah. British guy. Um, and he, so he started out doing like a bunch of shame research and like kind of hierarchy things, a lot of social anxiety, where does social anxiety come from? Yes. That, that's kind of how I got into a bunch of his books. But he ended up doing so much shame research that he started developing a treatment for it, which he called compassionate mind training. Oh, okay. And. Sounds similar. It sounds similar, right? Like it's, some words are involved. I think very influenced by Buddhist stuff, which I'm assuming Chris. I now, think she is as well. Yeah. Everything she said sounds very, very Buddhist yes, to me. Yes. Yes. Um, but there's this idea of yeah, you've got the, you, your sort of internal attacking self, and then this other self that like is kind of submissive to the the attacking. He sort of talks about it as a dominant submissive relationship because mm-hmm. it came out of that ethology, like animal stuff. Okay. But you can have that internal experience. Like, if you internally yell at yourself, you have the same, like, neurochemical body reactions as if someone were to yell at you externally. Mm-hmm. So, he's doing that. so he had this compassionate mind training. Of, well, let's build a self that is compassionate and kind. Yeah. So just and, and have that kind self <laughs> start to you know, kind of talk back and calm you and soothe you the way an external person would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's where I think of a lot of, like, the challenging shame piece. There's, mm-hmm. there's something... Um, so, so just to be clear, oh, yeah. a lot of the way that you're thinking about it, it's okay, we've got this... We've got this uh, some kind of situation where I get triggered to think I'm flawed and everybody... It's going. I'm disconnected. Everyone's like, I'm, I'm kicked out of the group. I'm rejected. I'm ostracized. Right, which I think is about as deep a human concern as yeah, possible. Yeah, of course. Which I think is why everyone feels it. Of course, we as humans need each other to stay alive. Yes, we have the same brains that you know we would die if we were kicked out of the group. Yeah, I mean, even still, right? When you say we talk about that as like an evolutionary process, like yeah. in the you know your tribe, if you were kicked out. You wouldn't survive. Still yeah. today, though, we might not need other people to, like, help us in the exact same way, but you still yeah. need other people to, like, give you a job, right? And, mm-hmm. like, provide groceries. And yeah. We, we it's yeah. not like you can it's, still it's, live in an island by yourself and be okay. It's one of the fundamental human needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we should actually make think we should do a loneliness um, podcast. podcast one time because that's one of my pet topics too and it's amazing uh-huh. how awful it is for you yeah um, sorry I totally interrupted you on the uh, I, about this I had some point I'd, I'd, I don't know what it is if it was important I'm sure it'll come up <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah um, I, I think what I was getting at that was just that I, I was just really wanting to be clear on we, exper- oh. we experience the shame it's, it's a really painful internal experience we, we're all built to feel it right it doesn't do the good things. Like, guilt is nice in some ways because it makes us do more nice things. Mm-hmm. Shame apparently does not. No, it just makes us, like, retreat and avoid and feel yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just sit and suffer and we don't... Right, because, like, with, with guilt, guilt's, like, the pro-social emotion. Yes, it says, like, oh, I yelled at this person, I should apologize. What can I do to make up mm-hmm. for this? How can I, how can I help? Because it's not... I'm not just... Yes. fundamentally a bad person 
where, yeah, shame says, I yelled at this person because I'm a horrible person and I should just be away from people. And I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep causing these problems. Yeah. I'm, I'm awful. No one's going to like me. Mm-hmm. Whereas guilt is, I can get forgiven. Yes, I did something wrong. There's I'm something I can do. Make up for it. Do this thing. I'll be forgiven. It'll be okay. I did an incorrect Shame, behavior. I'll hide it. Yeah. Like, right? Shame, I'll hide it. <gasps> yes. Guilt, I will admit it. And, yes. Right? So that was yeah. other some of the other pieces of... Okay. Uh, the shame screens. I think we talked about this before, but this is that the Stone Center. Um, at shields, Wellesley, the they talked screens, about some of these yeah. shields. Yeah. So basically, it says that a defense mechanism we employ when we experience shame uh-huh. is that our brain involuntarily invokes our fight or flight or freeze instinct. And uh-huh. in social situations, we either move away, withdraw, hide, stay silent, or keep secrets. Move against, try to gain power over the other, be aggressive and control. Or move toward in like people pleasing, uh, seek to please, try to be good. Okay. All those ways of like mm-hmm. not being who you authentically. Uh, that's why I think they talk about it. It's like who are you authentically mm-hmm. is sort of the opposite okay. of these pieces. And in our anxiety world, which of those? Because you you work with shame a lot. Like what what which of those do you see most commonly? Because these are. Defenses? Is it yeah. d- defenses? I see move away, shame? hide, avoid. Yeah. I also see the like people pleasing though. I think that's a common one in some maybe like some of the milder social anxiety, but mm-hmm. for sure I think more in extreme social anxiety, it's definitely yeah. move away, avoid. Uh huh. But almost, so the just to kind of think a little bit about how these work with the move away, avoid. The idea is I've just done something wrong, or there's there's something wrong with me. My defense is, I don't want people to see it. If they see it, they're going to be rejecting it. It's going to be horrible. I feel but I'm just going to hide in the corner, keep secrets, not tell anybody about these things. Mm-hmm. Pretend I don't have it. Like secrets, hide, yeah, hide, protect in that way. If, if people don't know how terrible I am, then I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I, social anxiety, we see a lot of that, right? Totally. I'm going to hide the bad parts of myself. I have all these flaws. If people knew, they would be thinking these horrible things about me. I even think about it with, like, shame in people having anxiety disorders or OCD in general. Oh, yeah. Like, working on some of the, like, the meta work we do about it, the mm-hmm. feelings about... Shame about shame, right? Shame about, yeah, having this disorder. Like, I have worked... I can't, you know, obviously you have too, but so many clients who say... I don't want to talk about this. I don't want anyone to know that I struggle with this. Or mm-hmm. my partner is really upset with me that I'm struggling with this. And I'm not being logical. Like totally. that shame around it can really cause a lot of distance there with like the secret keeping. And, and if I can be specific with like social anxiety, one of the biggest fundamental pieces of social anxiety is that you're anxious about your anxiety. And a lot of the social anxiety is what if my anxiety shows so I'm trying to, I'm trying to hide it and hide because if people knew that I was anxious, they would think I was weak, and then that's a flaw and that will lead to rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the social anxiety on top of other disorders too, right? Because yeah. like the OCD, nobody would understand why I'm having these like bizarre yeah. thoughts. So I can't yeah. tell anybody about it. I need to retreat and avoid. I I do like that, um, like the younger generation, right now. Who may or may not be called millennials. I'm still <laughs> sort of unclear on... <laughs> when that goes to? Well, yeah, because I, I have a friend who's like 35 and is technically considered a millennial. But um, I do like it in that younger generation. They're starting to try to de-shame 
mental mental treatment. health stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people are like, hey, I, I have this disorder. I'm getting treatment for it, and it's not this what? hidden shame thing it used to be. Even right when we interviewed. Andrea that she had said so much of why she was willing to write that book and talk about her own experiences because she was talking with college campuses that these kids are being so brave and using their names and being interviewed and Mm -hmm. willing to openly talk about this. People are posting it on their social media. Mm -hmm. Like sort of an anti-stigma, anti-shame thing. I have this, this, and this. Good for them. Great. Which I think is right. Like when I have talked about it with clients about making it less of a secret because that like I don't want anyone to know that I struggle with whatever yeah. um, like secrets get so much power by having a secret and so much it's like a very self confident powerful thing to take ownership of your secret yeah. like to not have it have ownership of you but to say mm-hmm. like authentically this is something I am struggling with this is who I am and have that be seen and that you get the power, whether, no matter how else somebody else receives it, like that you have the power of, I am okay with myself enough to, it doesn't matter how you're going to take it. And are you thinking of it in terms of that alone is the powerful piece? Or is it the, like, I take the risk of saying, hey, this is me, and then I get to see that some both. people are, are unexpectedly people accepting. Might- I think both because right like awesome if some people are supportive Mm -hmm. and even if they're not that you sort of like we talk about and being authentic whether or not somebody else is going to be okay with who you are right Mm -hmm. like I can say this and it doesn't matter how you're going to take it it's the fact that I have ownership of it um I think we just have like a truck parked yeah, outside our door. I think it's the FedEx. <laughs> I think it's t- Sorry for the noise. FedEx deliveries. Um, it's like. It's like a. Uh, like taking back. Tur- Even when you think of like um, in the. What's. What is the word? Um. Like even marginalized communities, right? Taking back some of those words that have been used to marginalize them, and then now that that is like, if I say it and I'm saying it about myself, that has like a power to it. Interesting, yeah. Um, same sort of thing. Like I'm not gonna let you make me feel bad for this. I can have ownership and power over this, regardless uh-huh. of how you think. And okay. I think so. Yes added benefit if the other person is welcoming and supportive but even that piece of like you might not take this well and I can still put it out there that's interesting okay, yeah, cause I'm, uh, cause I like that cause that's for its own sake which I like Like that has, and I see how that has value too especially if we're thinking it gets complicated for me if we're thinking well shame is about external like my flaws will be seen and the external world says that's I hate that that's bad I I condemn this I criticize this that's an internal to external relationship but a lot of times when we're talking about shame we're actually not talking about that we're talking about the internalized version of that Mm -hmm. they will do this if I imagine saying this I already feel this this happened they must be thinking that it's not actually an external derision that's happening it's an internal derision so it's interesting because we're talking about well, some of the techniques were around, oh, we, we're actually checking the external internal 
dynamic and trying to, you know, bring that more into balance. Oh, the people externally are not that bad. Yeah, they aren't. There are some people who are actually really accepting of this. And I I found the community. I found some support. Sure. Really powerful. But that also needs to happen internally, right? And so your stuff is more like that compassionate mind training. Yeah. Internal attack. Empathy as opposed to... Because, right? Like That's assertiveness. It's internal assertiveness, right? Mm -hmm. You're being assertive to your internal dominant... I hope, hope this is not too nerdy and makes sense. <laughs> this is yeah. me. This is me making sense of it as yeah. we talk. You know, yeah. There's a, we have an internal bully and potential external bully. Yeah, we're trying to work on both of those. Yes, and I think often this gets to. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm just mm-hmm. speculating that the more that I quiet that internal bully, the less power that external bully has. Uh-huh, because if you're internally feeling good about yourself, it's less of an... You know, I, do, I sometimes talk about, like, yeah, internal versus external shame or internal self-esteem versus external-based self-esteem. Yeah, and I think the more you, you can work on your internal stuff, the less impact that... And, and a lot of times, our imaginings of what the external response is it's like... Is not accurate. Is not accurate. Like, that's a lot of the work that I've done since it's social anxiety I want a lot of this to happen externally yeah and see the external world does not necessarily respond but that at the same time by taking the risk of finding out you internally feel much better about yourself because you're more authentic well because I talk about this a lot with social anxiety clients of I use religion as an example uh-huh. that um, what we really want at the end of the day is like tolerance and I'll say like okay say even within the same religion right like say you're all christian Mm -hmm. but somebody's catholic and somebody's i don't know lutheran right like it might be hey at the end of the day we can be neighbors and agree to disagree like we don't have to you don't i don't have to change to make you happy right and you don't have to change to make me happy Mm -hmm. that is we can agree to disagree we can work on that like tolerating piece which is that it's yeah not condemning mm-hmm. not oh yeah I'm with you but that, that that neutral is a totally fine outcome yes and not that my because it's not shaming yeah my acceptance of a person is not built on whether or not somebody else accepts me mm-hmm. right like I can be who I authentically am and other people might not like it mm-hmm. and that can be okay which is again yeah social anxiety one of those two one of those two fundamental changes that has to happen you know that realizing yeah I can be me and some people cannot be into it but that's also fine Mm -hmm. yeah well I think that's where that authentic piece of you Mm -hmm. has to be identified right because if Mm -hmm. I'm building everything on who I am based on what I think other people want to see then that um, that's you know shame is going to flourish because it's hard to always live up to that it probably isn't who I actually am and so there's going to be this constant I'm not good enough I'm not okay and yeah. so instead like identifying like what is that I really am who am I really what do I yeah. really like and this, this is the values like what do I yeah. care about what am I interested in what matters to me as a person yes. versus what does the external world want or what do I imagine what I perceive the external they want mm-hmm. and, and that's what a lot of research is talking about with um, mm-hmm. yeah being like working on your authentic self being a a way to increase resiliency against shame. I did think it was interesting when 
some of the research on men and women experiencing shame differently. Um, for women, it was a whole bunch of things, but for, uh, I mean, I'm sure for women, you could come up with a bigger umbrella. But for a big umbrella item that they came up with for men was of not being seen as weak. Like, that weakness is such a trigger for shame in men because, you know, if you think of shame as like a misconstrued way of trying to get everybody in the same social norms and not be out of the group mm -hmm. since we have a societal belief that men should be strong and not weak like that is the biggest trigger for shame yeah. for men mm -hmm. which is so interesting because again it's that like how I view vulnerability right a lot of times in our culture vulnerability for men is a way of weakness yeah. but how do I interpret like vulnerability right if I can see vulnerability as me taking back power yeah then it can kind of change that on its head that's that you know what's yeah depending to the, like the weakness and vulnerability thing because yeah i get what that's society says men aren't men must be strong society says i mean i'm hoping it's changing but it's traditionally said men can be angry and nothing else yes like mm -hmm. no emotions that's the one emotion you're allowed to have no mm -hmm. emotions yeah and there's i mean people even believe that men don't have as has as many emotions or as strong emotions as women, which is just blatantly You're incorrect. Like, look at like like toddlers, like yeah, it's <laughs> the same humans. They the same, have the same emotions. Yeah, yeah, but society has said men are not allowed to have them, which means they have them and don't. Yeah, have to like. Don't don't get to express them. Don't, them. Yeah, don't get support for them. Don't get to, like, even talk about it enough to make sense of it because, a lot of times we don't, we don't get emotions until we've tried to put them into words and express them. Um, which is sort of, in contrast, kind of, kind of one of these paradoxical things. Um, what could be stronger than being willing to break uh, social norms yes. and do what, say what is true? Like that take it takes so much more strength to be yes. authentic than it does to conform. Totally, that's what. Yes, yeah. I, when I was thinking about that with like social anxiety clients, like that's so much when I'm, or with any people who are feeling shame around the struggle that they're having like when you think of somebody who's super strong and super mm -hmm. powerful isn't it that like their ability yeah. to like say i don't care i'm gonna right. say what i want to say i don't yeah. care what you say are they someone who's, who's authentic to themselves or are they someone who's like trying super hard to fit so in so hard to fit in yeah exactly probably you know it makes you think of the um i had a conversation once with somebody about um going to the movies alone oh yeah which i do all the time um because I have my movie pass and it's it's just why wouldn't I well um, and like going to the movies is not my husband's always like let's go to the movies I'm like no I want us to interact you're yeah. not like <laughs> doing the super social thing when you're at the movies no, no you're not <laughs> but you know people sort of have this idea of like I'll go to the movies by myself and I'm gonna everyone's gonna look see me and think I've got no friends um like no, nobody likes me this, this is all I could do and then I remember talking to someone maybe my brother who said that when he sees someone at the movies by themselves, he's like, oh, that person must be really, like, self-confident yes. and, like, secure and all that kind of stuff. And totally. Because, like, yeah, because it shows a lot of strength to be able to do something totally. that is against that that social norm. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, thought, yeah, a lot of power in that. Total, right? Which is, like, reclaiming, like, I don't want to say any super offensive. I'm going to be so 
get into social norms, not say anything mm-hmm. super offensive on our podcast, but like those offensive terms that people use to describe others, when that group takes it back for themselves, right? It is kind uh-huh. of saying like a screw you, like yeah. I'm not gonna let your words define me or hurt me. Look, I'm gonna use this myself and mm-hmm. take back power for it. It's like that, that very same thing of like, this is not, I'm not going to let like shame and secrets quiet me. So yeah, I, um, we're talking about like specific skills. Uh-huh. I think a lot of it is like yeah, working to identify what your values are, who you are, mm-hmm. who you authentically are, and taking steps towards living that life for sure. But also yeah, I, I think working on that self, some of the self-compassion things of like how would I treat another person mm-hmm. in this situation? Can I tolerate some of the discomfort that might happen and not get swallowed by it? You know, allow it to be there and still move forward with my life. Mm. Um, uh, even like I'll say for a lot of clients, you know, what would your best friend say to you in this situation? Or using, you know, me, what would I say if I were in the situation? What would I say to you? What would I be saying to you? Mm-hmm. If your voice isn't able to use kindness yet, and empathy, what would I be saying to you? Uh-huh. To kind of shift that voice from like a mean, terrible jerk voice. When you do that, what tends to happen? So like you ask someone, you know, someone's feeling a lot of shame and like, and they're, they're kind of voicing that, that dominant yeah. self-critiquing self, like how does that go? It is so interesting because I do think a lot of people are able to kind of get out of their heads if I'm like, what would someone who loves you, if they can identify that, or if they're struggling even with that, like, what would I, what do you think I would say to you in this situation? They're usually able to be like, well, you would probably say, even if they don't 100% believe it, you know, well, you would probably say this or this or this. Um, And even though it might not be exactly on the mark, it's usually a lot closer to coming from an empathic state Uh than from this, like, super negative voice. So that's, like, kind of cognitively being able to see, like, find those words. Does that does that impact them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and then I usually assign for homework um, identifying positives. That might be hard for people at first, especially like to say positive things about themselves. If that yeah. is such a different voice, it might be really difficult. Or doing taking steps to lean into doing things for your you know empathic kind things for yourself. But yeah, I'm thinking like. Um, like body image shame, which is the one that comes up a lot with women, of like, you know, taking yourself to buy clothes that fit well and feel feel good and fit well, and also you think look nice. Um, you know, what are like some doable steps, like getting a massage, like doable actions to take that are in line with the compassionate. Okay, so in line with being good to yourself. Mm-hmm. So behaviors, do behaviors that are in line with being good to yourself. Mm-hmm. Versus punishing yourself. Yeah, because we we treat things well that we care about, uh-huh. and so it's a way of expressing that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because even then, like with the eating disorder or body image stuff, mm-hmm. when it can fall into like shame around that, it's like oh, I just need to try harder. I just need to like beat myself up more, mm-hmm. and that will get me there. If I yell at myself enough. Yes, and actually, like we take really good care of things that we like, right? Mm-hmm. That we care about. We don't take really great things care of things that we hate. Yeah. So, it's you know starting to make that shift of like okay, let's start treating ourselves as though we are even if we don't fully believe it yet. 
treat ourselves as though we are something that we like. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. That was making me think a little bit of the um, the Brene Brown stuff on like on numbing. How so? Yeah, you know that. Well, just the you know what you're doing to take care of yourself and like be good to yourself, and that might be different from like. If you feel if you're feeling ashamed and you want to do the I'm going to back away Avoid. and hide, mm. you might do things that feel good to you, but uh, like I feel like it's different from what you're saying. So like going back and eating a bunch of ice cream, it feel good. It's like you being, but it's not really being good to yourself, right? Yeah. It's yes. it's trying to just cover up a pain. Yeah, it is almost like that's like short-term good for long-term pain. Mm. This is almost like short-term pain for long-term good, right? Like uh-huh. shopping for clothes that actually are the size I am, not the size I wish I was, uh-huh. might be a little uncomfortable in the moment, mm. even if in the long term it helps me to like feel better about myself. Or, you know, like taking yeah. care of myself when I don't like myself might feel uncomfortable in the moment but it has that, like, longer-term benefit. Whereas, like, yeah, numbing is short-term. I'm going to feel better than I do, but long-term I'm going to feel worse. I'm going to feel bad afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which I think, right, I, in doing this work now, mm-hmm. for, not that we've done this for, like, 80 years, but in this moment of time, like, I feel like so much of therapy is working on tolerating short-term discomfort in the service of a long-term gain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause, and because, right, we have an instinct that's pulling us to protect in some way mm-hmm. against the feelings we don't want to have. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the problem is that, yeah, those, those protections aren't designed to be long-term. Yeah, yes. But, Evolutionarily, you know, your brain doesn't want you to be happy. It wants you to be alive. Yeah. But also, you know, like, yeah, like what we want, we have short-term drives that, that it's not thinking about being happy mm-hmm. way in the future. Totally. Be happy right this second. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think mean, that's true. That, that, that is, a, like, a, a whole lot of this is identifying, hey, what are the what are the things that I'm doing that are not yeah. helping me? Totally. Why am I doing it? Because what is the underlying pain that is making me respond in this way? And how well can I bring that pain up to the surface? Can I find some other way to work with it that is more useful? Long term. Long term. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably a good way to kind of think about this. Yeah. Yeah. If my goal long term is to feel better about myself or even connect better with others, yeah, it's these short term things that I'm doing are not doing me any favors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I always like to yeah. what you have talked about, and maybe you read this somewhere of the. If you had a kid and they were on a baseball yes, team, yes, would yes. you want them to have the like real jerk coach who was telling them what a failure they were? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather have a coach who was like, okay, these are some things we need to work on, but these are your strengths and was supportive and positive and helping them get there. Like, which coach would you sign your kid up for? Okay. Which is sort of the same idea with working on this, some of that self-compassion yeah, and stuff. Definitely. Okay. So how do you want to start treating yourself then? Yeah. Yeah. If your kid drops that, that, that cash... Do you really want the coach to come yell at them and tell them how terrible they are and that they screwed up? And how's that? What's going to happen the next time that ball's in the air? Is it? Mm-hmm. You know, kids are be thinking, "Don't screw up! Oh my god, if I do, it's really terrible things going to happen. You're going to be racked." Whereas you have another coach that says, "Hey, you know, just change your hand position here a little bit. Like you did well, just try this new method." And yeah, that's the coach you're going to want. That's the coach you're going to improve with. 
but yeah there's a lot of people have this myth of I can shame my way into improving but I think the research shows that if you shame yourself you do worse mm-hmm. well especially right like that's what I'm curious about is the difference in guilt and shame since guilt can be a positive because it's helping you to shift some of your behaviors I, I don't I don't know I think it's worth exploring like is there a way like how we always now they're trying to tell kids like I I'm not mad at you I'm mad at the behavior you chose or something totally, like that yeah. is there a way to kind of yeah. do that for yourself like I'm not a terrible person I just maybe could have whatever said this better or like given a better presentation or what you know I'm wondering if there's a way that to sounds like really useful start yeah. shifting it from this global who I am mm-hmm. my identity to like this behavior that I engaged in mm-hmm. would be I don't know I yeah, mean, there's tons of research out there and I just don't know it um, yeah. well I mean that, that just makes clinical sense right like I'm uh, whether you can shift it from shame to guilt is a question but certainly clinically you can cognitively work on instead yeah. of going into the here's all the things ways that I'm terrible because those are going to be in- inaccurate mm-hmm. but yeah go into well let's focus on the behavior what what would you do differently next time is there a way you can do something to make up for this whether it's tell someone about it like admit to it do some sort of like retribution of some kind mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if retribution is the right word there but Doing something where like it's... Like a repair. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like making up for it. Maybe restitution was more the word I was oh, looking yeah. for. Yeah. Or reparations. Yeah. It's one of those R words, you know. Um, but yeah, actually doing that might absolve some of it and also move it to, hey, look, I'm still a good person. Yeah. And, Just right, like... thing wrong. Talking to somebody about it, right? Like, is so much of what they say is uh-huh. helpful in mitigating shame? Like, right, reducing the secret. It's like, I don't want to talk about it. To like, hey, I'm sorry that I mm-hmm. did this, or I'll try to do better at this next time. Mm-hmm. Right, like, opens up to somebody about this. And, right, like, yeah, sheds a little light on it, as opposed to, like, this is cover-up, cover-up, cover-up. Yeah. And can be, like, connecting. And yeah, I mean, that, that sort of feels like some of the fundamental, right? person brings up something they're feeling ashamed about and having a space to put it into words and have the person still be accepted mm-hmm. yeah yeah like I think that's probably fundamentally just probably the most powerful thing yeah I think what's hard in this and this is stuff maybe you are more versed than I but since I'm not a big like Freudian, you know, mm-hmm. person. I don't have a ton of like psychodynamic training. Uh-huh. Like it seems like a lot of this might be some early attachment stuff um, that is just played out that. over and over again. Well, I, mean, I mean, the 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 developmental model of shame, right, is the parents didn't. Well, it's really the parents are the the voice of that you society. Adopt. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so they're the voice of society. They are, you know, your your. The, the people that are telling you what to do to be acceptable mm-hmm. or whatever caregiver you had yeah, yeah. so saying, saying that and then that, that is over time internalized and that the voice of the parents internalized and keeps coming at you yeah. anyway 
even if the parents aren't there to do it. Like that's that's just developmental process, right? Which is hard to shift. It's hard to shift, yeah. And then we gotta. So how do you know? How do you start to change, change how you if, talk if, to if those are, yeah yeah if those are not like if those are stuff that you've been raised to believe since you were little. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not helpful. They're not true. And it's hard too, right? Because you end up acting in ways that reinforce. Sure, or ha- surrounding yourself with people who who, yeah, who agree with that, and that. Believe mm-hmm. that, and, and yeah. so breaking off yeah. those habits, even mm-hmm. of like, it might be uncomfortable at having new relationships with different people. I mean, my part of my take on that is this, this gets into the more cognitive and behavioral stuff. Is like everyone has that. Everyone's got this internalized sort of you know, rules, voice, you know, the Sephardians call superego, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has that. We have all this childhood stuff. Um, and it's not like we would want people to be completely shameless. Yeah. Right? Because if, if, they, if, they if they didn't absorb any of society's rules, then that's going to cause a lot of problems too. Of course. You know, because we still need to treat people well and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, but that it would be like what we're seeing are not it's not it's not that what we're seeing are people whose yeah. whose shame sensitivities are really high of, yes you know? outliers so our goal is really to bring it down to where it's like a reasonable appropriate level mm-hmm. where you could feel maybe a little bit yeah a little bit of shame sometimes if you imagine doing something that's bad but we kind of more want to be guilt focused yes you know and it's probably more like this idea is more blurring the two of those um but yeah, bring it down to acceptable, reasonable level. And in my mind, through the the testing it out, either through talking, especially to accepting people rather than people who are already judgmental. Yeah. Um, and doing more of the testing out. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to talk about hey, here's this part of me. Or I'm going to enact this part of me, even though it's embarrassing or awkward, or even though we know. We talk about this all the time in group that the the shameful or embarrassing or awkward or uncomfortable parts of ourselves are what people like. Mm-hmm. They don't like the well, defensive shield. Yeah, of course. That's, that's, that's a, you know, people like people following rules. That's fine. But what you really connect to is not the rule following part. It's the the really human flawed part the flawed self is what people actually respond to totally that vulnerability yeah yeah no I this stuff does make me think of Albert Ellis oh yeah so this is the getting to the the more external piece of this versus all the internal which which I think sort of the world's gone more to the internal changes lately you know with like the third wave and oh all the Buddhist stuff coming in the, the, the mindfulness but the Albert Ellis old school external so he be let your freak flag fly and yeah, like who yeah, cares and just like yeah tolerate it work really so that's, that, that's really his his thing that, and I really appreciate this and I can't I don't know if I mentioned this before but Albert Ellis is old school like the earliest earliest cognitive behavioral <laughs> guy so he had these shame busting exercises oh yeah so the one we, we, oh. we talk about all the time is where he sat on, sat on the, the park bench. bench and asked out every woman that sat near him. Okay, so like you know, sort of a hundred of hundred of these until he no longer was ashamed by rejection. 
and the other, other famous ones is he would shame busing he would get on a subway and yell out the stops and, get, and just learn to tolerate all the people looking and like oh my god you're breaking the rules what's wrong with you or like he would realise at first you have a huge reaction to it because our shame senses are so sensitive but over time you can just reduce those they start to not bother you as much and you get on the train to do that stuff and have people look at you and not have an emotional response my brain just went to what's the like TV show like early 2000s like Jackass or whatever I wonder if those yeah. guys like since they did it so much yeah. if they were so habituated to it that they just didn't care yeah <laughs> just didn't like, like learn to like either realize people don't respond that badly or to the extent that they do respond badly that it doesn't actually doesn't matter like, like we're, we're no longer getting <laughs> ostracized mm-hmm. and, and dying we're just going Mm-hmm. Just, you know, if anything, or like getting positively reinforced by like the other people who were maybe trying to like show that like or, we did this too, yeah. or, or in, internally we feel really good for facing up to that mm-hmm. internal dominant bully. So he did all these funny ones and taking a book for a walk, where, where he put books, tied a belt around the books, and asked people to just walk the book along the street and stop people and ask them what they think of it, their pet book. So I'm all do these things sort of deliberately. Test it out. Yeah, just yeah, shame busting. Just do it until you, you don't get as shamed anymore. And there's a lot of that in social anxiety work. Yeah. Because it's, it's more specifically external and all that kind of stuff. But well, it's like yeah, building up tolerance and resiliency too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I think in general, getting in touch with who you actually are, flaws included, and being willing to authentically own that for yourself and show that to others. And learn to tolerate it, and that there's a lot of that there are more rewards in doing that than there are risks of people's disapproval. Sure. Does that sound like a yeah. decent kind of summary of, yes. what, of what we're talking about? One hundred percent. Yeah. Good job. Okay. Thanks. You feel? I'm very interested in you it. You like? So. You liking our? This, is this feeling better after us having like dissected this and talked about this so much? Yeah. I also feel like I want to. Like this is one that I feel like I'd want to come back to. You know, I I want to know more about it. Cause like I would go on Amazon and look for books on how to treat shame. That's I think and it's the modernity is just you and I like how we came about being psychologists too. I think I was always just like the connecting with people and feeling empathic towards people was a huge early drive for me to want to do this work. Yeah. And it's so so much of what we're talking about. You know, the like hearing people and identifying what they're they're saying about themselves and validating and giving empathy it's like you know a lot of like early stuff that you're learning and being a therapist mm-hmm. is yeah a lot of why I early got into this and so it's I think it's interesting how we like come about this from different places mm-hmm. where I don't think that's like your 100% interest in going into this wasn't from that that, that, that wasn't my no it wasn't my specific my, my came out of being very anxious since childhood and being really interested in how to like the fact that you could change really like all this physiology and brain functioning you could change all that through like talking and making specific changes I I find that fascinating yeah yeah well we're about out of time okay thanks for listening thanks for listening please please uh, like reviews or yes we started a crowdfunding yeah. page to try to keep ads off of our um, 
podcast, so please check it out. I appreciate all your support. And yeah, yeah. email us with any questions yeah. Yeah, or please, topics you want to talk about. Please, more questions or topics you're interested in. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. Bye-bye.